Welcome to the Commercial Kitchen Chronicles, the podcast dedicated to commercial food equipment repair industry. My name is Pat Finley. I'm a lead master certified technician at Gerald Parts Group and a certified specialist trainer. My goal is to shine a light on what I believe to be one of the most interesting and rewarding industries a field service technician can work in. I love the work I do, and I'm glad you're here listening to the podcast. In this episode, we have Corey Yates on from Alpha and Omega Restaurant Equipment Repair. Commercial Kitchen Chronicles podcast is proudly sponsored by Vega and the Vega Trades Education Network. Vega is a leader in press technology and a large supporter of trade education through their V10 program. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Commercial Kitchen Chronicles. Tonight, Rich and I are joined by Corey Yates. Corey Yates is an entrepreneur. He is located in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and he owns Alpha and Omega Equipment Repair. So we're going to talk to Corey about what it is to start a business, to maintain a business, and grow a business in this industry. We all love this industry, and we love what it can provide for our families. And uh, some guys want to do it on their own. Some guys want to work with somebody, and we're going to cover all of that tonight. So thanks for coming on, Corey. How are you tonight? Absolutely. Guys, thanks for having me very much. Appreciate it. It's cool. I've heard a lot of great things about you. Um, I, you know, we've been following each other on LinkedIn for a while, and uh, I think I follow Edgar on all the other social media. I think he does a lot of the link, uh, not the LinkedIn, but the uh, probably the Instagram stuff. I see some videos and stuff he puts out there. So uh, you guys are doing some pretty cool stuff out there, and I'm always glad to connect with other kitchen guys. And uh, you know, I'm not a business owner. I work for a large conglomerate. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, it's not. I've thought about doing my own thing, but I like what I'm doing. I like the things I get to do and it just, it fits me right now. And um, I'm not knocking anybody that wants to do their own thing. Um, do each his own. There's a place in this world for everybody. And as long as people understand that, that's what we're trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there are, you know, the, and, and you're, Pat, you're right. There is, there's so many opportunities uh, that exist in the industry. And one of the things that uh, Edgar and I learned, it took us about four, uh, about four years of the eight years we've been in business for us to learn is to stay in the lane that, that you're comfortable in and that you're competent in. And um, it doesn't mean that you cannot begin to stretch uh, what that lane looks like. Um, but uh, those who try to go into a lane that they don't belong in typically hit something. And Edgar and I, even the, the first four years, we were successful. Um, we were we were doing really, really well uh, from the outside in is what it looked like. From the inside out, we wanted to kill each other damn near every day. And it's because I was telling him how to run the street and he was telling me how to run the business. And once we learned to stay in our own lanes, there's about that much overlap now. Whereas before it was, we were every day where we were in each other's hair. And once we learned uh, to, to stay in our own lane, he runs the street and we confer on anything that's, that's gray. I run the business and I run any big expenditures through him, make sure, because I'm spending 50% of his money. So um, I want to make sure that he agrees with and understands what we're doing and why. And so it, I guess the, the, the kind of the, the headline message is, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at. And you, I'm sure you've all heard ready, fire, aim. Uh, there's a lot of ready, fire aimers out there that will, will will have to drag their ass back to their last employer and say, oh, that didn't work. Can I have my job back? And <laughs> we don't want that for anybody. It looks bad for them. Uh, it tears it tears you up financially. And uh, so we want to we try and avoid that, give you a little guidance so we can avoid that. So... 
we followed you on LinkedIn and you guys do a lot of cool stuff, but you've been in uh, the business, you've been an entrepreneur for years. You said you're a serial entrepreneur, so you've done a lot of things before a service company. So you want to explain what you did prior to starting a service company? You want to work through how you got to where you're at now or? Absolutely. So uh, Colorado 1992 was working for a janitorial supply firm. And one of our vendors was a chemical provider, uh, had everything from floor cleaners to pot and pan soap to greaser, things like that. And I knew that I could sell a case of toilet paper and make $7 commission, or I could sell a case of soap and make $27 in commission. And I'm like, I'm not really that smart, but I think I know what I'm going to try and do. And so uh, over the span of about a year, uh, developed a pretty good following and finally ended up going to that manufacturer who was up in Denver. I was in Colorado Springs and said, hey, uh, I would like to I'd like to work for you uh, strictly uh, sell sell chemical. And so did that, uh, built that business uh, up until 97 and uh, pretty heavily involved in the restaurant industry. Um, so uh, lease and install dish machines um, and uh, sell all the chemical that wrapped around that. And then began to add, you know, it, 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 what I told people is if you can, if you can uh, throw it away or wash it down the drain, we sell it. And so it was basically a disposable company that revolved around the, the hospitality industry and was very, I, what I would call successful in that business, sold it in 97, moved to the Phoenix area, built the exact same type of business here, uh, sold it in 2004 uh, to a gentleman uh, who, when we, when we were, uh, when I sold it, we were doing about uh, two, 2.5 million a year. Uh, he sold the business uh, within the last six months um, and last year he was probably somewhere in the 25 to 27 million range. So he did very, very well. I'm incredibly proud of him. He was, that's, that's legacy. I, I see the trucks around town still. Uh, and he ended up being in eight or 10 States and just a fantastic dude and uh, life changing money for him. He'll never work another day in his life. And I couldn't be more proud of him. So that's, that's the kind of legacy deal. It's cool. Um, uh, started out of that, it incubated a repair business, a couple guys that worked for, um, what was, uh, uh, what was, uh, not, I'm thinking EPS, what was the, the repair company, the early iteration of Echolabs repair company? It was GCS. GCS. That's right, GCS. So they were not happy with GCS and I'd, I'd seen them in, in restaurants. And these two guys said, uh, we'd like to leave. Will you finance this? And I said, I won't finance you. I'll hire you and we'll build a business. And they're like, okay, that'll work. So we did that for 18 months. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't good enough. This isn't big enough. Um, so we started another company where it was more fully, uh, where we could grow, where we could scale the business. And so built that business until 2012, sold it. I went and did real estate for three years. And then uh, in 2015, Edgar and I started this. And um, the, the, the relationships that we had built in the market 
uh, very luckily allowed us to launch. I mean, in 2015, we launched. Uh, it was basically fish in a barrel uh, because we had, Edgar had relationships, I had relationships, and we just went in and, and renewed those. And uh, like I said, we were successful. We were able to get a bunch of accounts. Edgar and I hated one another for about the first four years, as I mentioned. Uh, but uh, over the last four years, we come out of COVID and we very luckily, uh, we've got a fantastic customer base and a great tech team, uh, great uh, office staff. Everybody gets it. They understand uh, what the mission is um, and they dig what I'm gonna call our pixie dust, uh, the secret sauce that Edgar and I have developed um, inside our four walls. They dig it, uh, clients dig it and they treat us really well and we couldn't be uh, more humbled and we know how lucky we are to have the size um, and speed of business that we do have. Sweet. So how big are you guys? How many techs? Uh, so tw uh, 12 techs, five, uh, uh, one, two, three, four office staff and a warehouseman that uh, builds our, our install trailers for us, uh, pick up product, deliver product to techs, uh, is a runner. Uh, and again, the, the, God puts incredible people in front of you when you, when you need them. And that's exactly what happened, uh, to, for, for a lot of these people. And we're, we're the, the, the kind of circuitous route that several of these employees took to get to us, uh, is incredible. The stories are incredible. And like I said, God works in mysterious ways and he put, he put the right people in front of us and hopefully we're the right people for them. Uh, where they are in their lives. And I think it's proven out, especially over this last year, that that's been the case. So, um, yeah. That's cool. Um, I was talking to Rich earlier, and he said something about how they build out their trailers for like installs and stuff. I was I was impressed by that. You want to talk about that, Rich, what you were saying to me earlier about that? Well, I know talking with Corey in the past, um, he was basically saying, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but um, I think mostly you or, or sometimes Edgar, like I say, you have a walk-in box installed or, or any kind of job like that. Y'all hit the field. Y'all go to the place, meet with the customer, take the measurements, basically do a full assessment of what the what's going to need to be done, what the technicians will need, tools, materials. And then by the day that that install comes, you've got the trailer loaded, ready to go. All your techs have to do is hook up the hitch to the trailer, get to the job site. And basically just about everything they're going to need. There's no, oh, crap, or at least very minimum, oh, crap, I got to run to Home Depot. I got to run to the supply house. Um, yeah. Your techs aren't out there running the site surveys on their own when they yeah. when they could be out there making you money and things like that. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And that, that warehouseman that I mentioned. So it's it's a it's a we have a process for everything. I'm very a process driven guy. Some people call me a. Uh, a freak, whatever. I don't turn the light and switch on and off three times when I leave the room. <laughs> I'm not far from it. So it, everything has to have a process. If it has a process, it's easier to follow. Um, if it's simple, it's really easy to follow. And so it's basically for, depending on the size of the install, there may be, uh, there'll be at least one and in some occasions, two and three site surveys uh, with either Edgar, we have another A-level tech that is uh, adjacent to Edgar. His name is Adam uh, Martinez, fantastic tech. He follows you guys, by the way. Um, and so one of those two guys typically runs any install that we have. 
uh, they'll be the lead tech and then it's just adding technicians to them. So we'll couple together um, and do the site survey, determine the who, what, when, where, why of those individual installs, um, go back, do our homework. If there's something we missed or more information we need, like I said, we may fold back in for a second one to make sure that we've got everything we need. That all goes on uh, a specific document that's handed to the warehouseman. Uh, product gets ordered, crane, if we need it, uh, gets scheduled. Uh, every, the trailer gets built. So the day of install, technician pulls up to the warehouse, the, tech, the, the equipment is on, the lifts, the cup casters, the, the, whatever we need is on that trailer. It's built, it's ready to go. All they gotta do is pull to the job site and start rocking and rolling, meet the crane, whatever they have to do. When they get it back, you know, whatever refuse or whatever is is there from the day of the install that gets all again the warehouseman picks that ball up and and clears it for the following day following, for so the let following me ask install. you this how how would you say because i mean that that's that's a great you know system mm -hmm. how would you say that that system um that y'all have is is improving your installs or, or keeping your installs you know top notch because like where i work it's usually a technician that's doing the site survey and, you know, most manufacturers, they don't pay anything for a site survey. It's like, we'll give you a hundred bucks. I'm like, I got to drive an hour and a half to the location. I got to spend two hours there. You know, it's costing my company money to do site surveys. And generally, you know, I got to make a list of I'm going to need A, B, C, and D. Then I got to source it myself. Like I'm putting a lot of labor. Sometimes, I, you know, depending on what it is, I can get my supervisor, my direct supervisor to, um, if I shoot him a list, he's like, hey, I can get this, that, and the other for you. Um, but it's a drag not only on you know the the money we're going to get for the job but it's a drag on overall production um it's a drag on on us as technicians because a lot of times we show up even after you know a call and a text message telling us the site's ready and it's nowhere near ready um so aside you know the financial aspect of it but do you think that that process um i guess maybe keeps the morale of the of the technicians up knowing that they can just go to the site and they've got, you know, more or less what they need or just kind of talk about that aspect of that process. I, it, it's absolutely critical. Uh, we didn't, we didn't always do it this way. You know, we would have the techs build the trailers and that's not billable time. And for okay. what we bill for hour, which is over a hundred bucks an hour, um, it, the last thing that I want to do is have um, a technician building trailers. It's, it's much better money spent to have somebody who is skilled at a position to do that position. Uh, a lot of people believe in cross training. We cross train about that much. We're very, we're very specific in what we need people to do. So the, the division of labor for us works very, very well. Uh, again, I've got 12 techs. Is, would that work for somebody who's got 30 techs? I don't know. I don't have 30 techs, so I can't answer that question. But I can tell you for 12, it works fantastic. And the only thing that I ask my techs to do is order parts. Um, they've done the diagnostic work. They, they know exactly what they had their hands in. They know models and serials. Uh, all of those things are in, the, are in place. And so the only thing I ask them to do is order parts. Uh, when those parts come in, the, the diagnosing technician is gonna be the repair guy. And we work our, our, our installs very much the same way. Um, let's say it's a five ton AC unit. Um, uh, I need to know the curb size. I need to know voltage, amperage, phase, uh, tonnage, obviously, 
Um, where, what size crane do I need? Those are all the things that we gathered. Those and about 50 other things uh, are the things that that I that I gather on a site survey. If I think, you know what, this is beyond me, there's going to be things that happen in this install that Edgar or Adam is going to understand far better than I do. And so I will pull them, you know, usually it's Edgar, um, it, I'll pull him, uh, but, but often enough it's Adam. And today, as a matter of fact, at the airport, we've got a, a tilt skillet that's going in end of next week. And I've got doorways that are that much larger than the tilt skillet. And so I, I pulled Adam in. I said, dude, I need you to see this so that because Adam's going to run the project. Let's make sure the day of install, if there's surprises, they're this small, not something where it says, sorry, sorry, client, I, I, I can't make this install because I didn't take this into consideration. They're really smart. They do those installs. I don't do those installs. And so I know what I know. I can walk around with my tape measure and the experience that I have that we've gained but they, I respect what they do because they all, at the end of the day, they're the one who's going to be loading it on the trailer uh, or, un, you know, unloading it off the trailer, taking it up an elevator, down a hallway, through three doorways to get it to the kitchen where it needs to go. So we'll pull them in in that situation. By and large, a lot of these I can do myself and not get in, uh, not get in trouble. But when I need them, I pull them in and it's, it's valuable. It's a time saver. It's a reputation saver. Your clients dig when you walk in and it's broken and you walk out and it's fixed. You guys know that just from break fix, right? Installs are the same way. That's cool. So, yeah, we're a smaller branch from where I work at. And it'd be nice to say if I go out and I'm quoting a walk in, I just go out. I need all these fittings. I need all those parts. I need this condensing unit, this evaporator, you know, and to have someone in the office that can order it and it's, it's loaded on the trailer. I'm going to install tomorrow. I pick up a seven. I'm on site by eight. You know, I'm rocking and rolling. Uh, that'd be a huge help. Um, I could see that saving a ton of time and money too, like you said, because, you know, when we do it, they're paying me my wage to go to the supply house to pick up parts, mm -hmm. pay me my wage to go to the trailer, uncrate stuff. Like yesterday, I went to the shop. I uncrated a range. I jacked it up, put the wheels on it. I, you know, put it on the trailer, loaded it down, strapped it up. I drove to site. I installed it. I brought the old one back, unloaded it off the trailer, put it over in a scrap pile and all that stuff. I was like, you know, I did all that work and I look at the the, the ticket and I know my hourly rate and I see what it said it generates it should be. But I also know that this is a flat rate job and we're not making near that amount of money. Right. It sucks. Mm -hmm. like, right. So I, what you guys are doing is really cool. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you something, Pat. Is, is, is how many techs at, at at your branch? Uh, seven, seven right now. Okay. So, and this again, this is my opinion. Doesn't have to be your branch manager's opinion, but my opinion is if if you were billable, okay, let's say it's a hundred bucks an hour, whatever it is, it, it's not important what the amount is. It's just the fact if you were billable, that those two hours that you spent building that trailer, you could have been out doing something else. And no disrespect to a warehouseman, but he doesn't make what you make, mm -hmm. right? He may make half of what you make. Now you've got seven technicians that that can count on him. And rather than building trailers or grabbing this and grabbing that, grabbing this, where they're non-billable, especially on a flat rate, where they're non-billable, that warehouseman pays for himself twice in a month. No question about it. 
to for him to be the quote unquote gopher. And again, no disrespect. I the guy that that we have working for us is a rock star. Um, not only can he do that, but he's if we need a fourth or fifth guy on an install, he's it. Yeah. He's got no certifications or anything, but all he wants to do is help. At least and, hire labor. He's already on the staff. You're not paying. Uh, uh, you're not paying uh, a staffing agency to bring somebody in for a day. And yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he already knows everybody. He has a rapport with the guys. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, if you could bill another four or five hours uh, per tech per day, if they uh, didn't have to run all their stuff, okay, multiply that times a hundred dollars an hour or whatever he charges in your area. There's five hundred bucks right there. Is that guy going to mm -hmm. cost five hundred bucks a day? No way. No, exactly. Not, exactly. What if no. it's a so what? What if it's a if they pay that guy four thousand dollars a month, a thousand bucks a week? Are you telling me you can't recap four thousand dollars a month in, in in what it takes you as a skilled technician to be loading a trailer, to be loading a lift? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It was a five hour job that really only should took me two hours. By the time I drove there, installed oh, yeah. it, is like I had five hours in it. I'm like, I feel bad because I know what I make. I mean, I'm not a normal tech. I mean, we all know who I am, what I do. I've sat through Cephas and stuff where I, I know about billing and what it takes, you know, to, to be to be productive on a person that makes my wage, what we really need to bill. And I know we're not billing that. And it's a lot of times it's like, so I feel guilty if I go over, you know, and doing something like that. I know it has to be done. It's just the cost of doing business sometimes. But yeah. it's like, again, it would be better off to find someone else to come in and do this and create it up and, you know, install it. No question. Look, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. somebody who again doesn't have doesn't have the certifications, doesn't is you know isn't costing uh, GP you know whatever your wage is per hour. And, and again, it's not just what they're paying you. So they're paying you to do that, right? And not billing your time. So it's a for them, in my opinion, double loss. Okay, they could be right. paying somebody a, a warehouseman half of what you make, and now you're still billable. So that first two hours of the day, whatever it is, you're billable. Uh, let's uh, again let's use a hundred dollars an hour so what's up taz uh whatever you're whatever you're billing easily pays for that guy and it makes mm -hmm. the, the skill that you have earned right that you the experience that you have um you, now you're using it 100 percent of the time not 60 percent mm -hmm. of the time mm -hmm. to your question taz if we were bigger we'd have a, a dedicated office person now, in the past, it's always been um, a dedicated office. It's always generally been a female. And nothing against them. They can do the work, too. It's just that's what it's always been. And they really haven't had uh, experiences, you know, assembling stuff and putting stuff together or loading the trailer, strapping stuff down. So, I mean, I'm more than welcome to anybody, teach anybody that wants to learn how to, you know, load a trailer to assemble equipment. Because, I mean, we get it. The equipment comes in. It doesn't have casters on it. I mean, it's not too hard. You get a forklift, you jack it up, you slide it up on the side of the pallet, or you strap it somehow. You put casters on it, you sit it on the ground. It's not rocket science i mean but yeah if we had, meter, though it's oh, still yeah. a time meter yeah if we had a if we had a higher tech count i'm we'd have an, a warehouse person again but we just don't have it so it's not in the budget um you know how you know how running a company is and just imagine running a multi-billion dollar company <laughs> well i disagree i think that guy pays for himself i don't think it's a budget hit at all yeah, um, I, I I think that he, I think you could probably increase your numbers. And again, I, I haven't done the numbers uh, at all, but my assumption is you could probably increase the the top line sales by 15, 20 percent to hire that guy to make you guys more billable more often. Yeah. 
right. to pay for himself and your top line number would still go up. Yeah, I agree with that because like you said, he's not going to make what, what we're making. You know what I mean? He's probably, probably going to make half, maybe a couple dollars more than half. Right. And like you said, especially when you have more top tier techs on the road, billable, you're we're easily going to pay for that guy. You know what I mean? I like the work he's doing isn't even necessarily going to pay for him. It's the fact that he freed us up to do more work yeah. that would yeah. end up covering his pay. Within your skill set. Yeah, just more exactly. Work, more, skill, more billable work within your skill set. Right, exactly. Which makes you yeah. a happier dude. All you want to do is fix what's broken. You don't want to load trailers. You yeah. have, have you worked for 20 years in your industry to load trailers? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll do it because I got to do it. It's just part of the job. Sure. Sure. I'm a team player. I'll do it because uh, me and my my former trainee Leo, that's in the chat there, we apparently load trailers faster than two thirds of our coworkers. So we loaded one trailer one time, and my supervisor was like, "It would have taken the the PM crew the whole day to load that up." And we were like, "We left the job, got to the shop, loaded it, went, fueled up, and came back in like two hours." And he's like, "That would have took the other guys the whole day." So now uh, we load trailers now. Yeah, Taz, I, I feel sorry for you, dude. I, I talk to one of your texts. Well, I don't talk to him on there. One of my texts talks to one of your texts all the time, and uh, you got your hands full, buddy. <laughs> 4,000 texts, 139 trades. So I, I know yeah. what you do the first two hours of the day. What do you do the other six hours of the day, Taz? <laughs> <laughs> Probably hides in the corner crying, <laughs> trembling, <laughs> uh, waiting for Freak Out Friday. Uh, Friday, yes, I love Freak Out Friday. It's always <laughs> right. Um, this episode is brought to you by Vega. As an industry leading manufacturer, Vega not only provides training support for their press fittings and systems, but are also dedicated to continuing support for the trades education. So that's that's crazy. So when it started, was it just you and Edgar? Or did you guys always have you know a couple other techs, or just you two started out and built it from there? Or what happened? So Edgar was my lead tech in that business that I had from 2006 that I sold in 2012. He was my lead tech. Uh, pulled him uh, out of a uh, Clarion Hotel, as a matter of fact. Um, and uh, he became my lead tech and just, just became, wasn't, but became a fantastic technician. Um, uh, and he stayed with the business uh, that I sold Uh McLinton both. Um, he uh, um, he um, uh, he stayed with the business when I sold it, and became disenchanted with that owner. What unfortunately, the guy that I sold it to was not a good owner. Um, and so Edgar came to me. He said, "Hey, let's start this." That was in late 2014, and so in 2015 we started this. And um, I knew at that point because of the quality of tech that Edgar was that somebody was going to come take him from me. There was no question. Somebody, it didn't matter what I paid him. Somebody's going to come take him from me. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to forgo some of the ownership. He didn't buy in. He earned in and he did. He spilled blood and tears uh, to, to, to gain his ownership stake in the company. And um, that was the smartest thing that I've ever done. I've never had a business partner. Every business I've ever built was, I was a lone ranger, you know, with staff. Um, I'd never had a business partner. That's kind of why we probably clashed the first four years we we're in business. I never had a business partner. And I'm like, I, I run this shit. I'm, this is how we're going to do it. And he, and he's as, as bullheaded as I am. He goes, no, 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 no. we're not going to do that. 
And so once we learned how to, to, to row in the same direction at the same time, um, that's, that's how that came together. And he runs a fantastic crew. And so we, uh, I can talk with just about anybody uh, about uh, just about anything. Um, and I'm better with text now than I've ever been, but somebody like Edgar was magnetic for the, for these guys. Uh, he, he talked their talk, you know, I'm just a, a big dumb white guy who, who, you know, runs the business. Uh, but I don't know how to replace a TXV. I don't know how to calibrate a thermostat. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And so I'm kind of on the outside looking in and he's got this a magnetic personality and be this incredible talent and he could tech talk. And so he just began to draw these high quality people uh, to the company. And it's it's it evolved to where it is now. Now I'm, now I'm mad he's nice. not here. So I'm going to hold that against you. I'm going to try to get him in on, on another time when it works for yeah. him. Yeah, I wouldn't well. say all this stuff about him if he were listening. So <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So the hotel thing, that kills me because you know, we've hired some hotel guys. And it's just like it, – it, they didn't seem to work out. So what separated mm -hmm. Edgar from everybody else? Did he just have that desire to want to be more, to learn more? Just That was just in him, and it just he didn't want to settle being at the hotel. He didn't want to settle no. just for somebody. He just, he just has that desire? Uh, he did. He started as a um, uh, working in housekeeping. Wow. Um, and, and he just awesome. – then, it, you know, the the – he'd start he'd he'd uh something would be broken and he'd like fix it and take it you know take it to uh facilities and he'd go hey this is broken now it's fixed and there and so the facilities manager at this clarion said do you want a job and he goes well i'm in housekeeping he goes do you want a job and he goes yeah sure and so that was that was his launch into into break fix and started a course with you know light bulbs switches and then it kind of evolved into the kitchen equipment like i said when when i hired him he was good but not great um and he taught himself self-taught uh probably shocked the shit out of himself a thousand times doing what he wasn't supposed to but learned how and he just has a drive like nobody i've ever seen and and so he made himself who he is there's very little very little outside training at all it's all i'm gonna learn it i'm gonna figure it out and he did i love that because that's yeah. the way i am um i started off electrician um, my dad retired got me in a position where he was working at gcs and um, they gave me about two weeks kicked me out you know fixed mcdonald's and schools so i cut my teeth in for three years and <laughs> i want to do refrigeration I cut me today teaching refrigeration. Uh, I got there, and their idea of teaching refrigeration was shits on the truck, figure it out. Um, <laughs> and I just, I never backed down from a challenge. It sounds like Edgar's the same way. It's like, oh, it's broke. Well, it's broke when I got there. It can't be any worse when I leave. I mean, <laughs> it's already broke. So I think Rich is the same way. Rich likes the challenge. Yeah. Rich likes to. Oh, yeah. Three other guys have been there. They can't fix it. And that's why I put that meme out this week. Oh, you called somebody else and they couldn't fix it? I'm here now. I mean, <laughs> I got you. Exactly. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I and love I just want to point out, too, and, you know, I don't ever get political. So I don't know if this statement is political or not. But for anybody who says that the American dream is is dead or is not achievable, you know, in this day and age, after, you know, we're done recording, rewind that section and listen to it till you get that through your head. I mean, from housekeeping to owning a very successful uh, service company. 
I mean, that's literally the American dream right there. So mm-hmm. that that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, you, you have to have the drive. And and the good thing is, like I said, it, it, what I know for sure, and I and if Edgar were listening to this, it, it, I, I, I can say this very honestly, and Edgar would shake his head yes. I can't fix a TXV, okay? I can't calibrate a thermostat, but I can run a business. Mm-hmm. Edgar cannot read a P&L or a balance sheet and doesn't want to know how, <laughs> right? That's why, that's why we do this. We marry up very well. I run like- the business, he runs the street. And so there's a perfect division of labor for what we do. And once we realize that, again, that's when, that's when we started to really hit, mo- hit our stride, get the momentum we needed, and really draw a lot more quality people to us. So it um, uh, worked out very well that way. It sounds like me and Edgar should be best friends. I'm the same way, man. I, I don't have a desire to start a business, to own a business. I love doing what I do. and I love interacting with the customers, the other technicians, people. I just, I don't trust myself enough to run a business. I think I, I, I feel guilty. I go into a mom and pop place and they're struggling. The owners are in there working. The owners aren't in there working because they're making money. The owners are in there working because they're losing their ass and they're in there working for free. And people don't get it. People are like, oh, you own a restaurant, you're rich. No, unless you own something that's wildly successful or you own a bunch of restaurants, you're not making any money. And I'd feel guilty. And I, I just, I couldn't do it to people. And right. I, 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 and I know that's a bad way to run a business, so I don't want to do it. <laughs> right. right. Got that. And I understand that critically. It, it is. Um, and that's what makes you who you are, by the way. And why um, <laughs> the, the master. Right. <laughs> that's why uh your clients dig you first of all probably ask where you by name but pat and only pat nobody else but pat and i know rich you and i have talked about this you got the same thing going on right mm-hmm. it's that same drive that same kind of feeling where you have a it, it's not let's load this invoice up it's like let's thin this out as much as we can what we realize very clearly and you just said it i'll say it differently is that we are ready Mm-hmm. Okay. No restaurateur can package what we sell, mm-hmm. grind it up, and put it in a skillet and sell it. Okay, we are red ink, and the sooner you realize that and you portray that to your clients, and they realize that you're not trying to load invoices, you're trying to do everything just the opposite, mm-hmm. right? That client will be with you until end of days, and they will tell 25 others this guy does everything he can. He may not be the least expensive, and we're not, and I don't want to be. Okay, but do I care about their longevity? Yeah, because when they're in business, I'm in business. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that you splash, splash as little red ink as you possibly can over your client and they understand it and they realize it um, and you're accountable to them and negotiable when you when you, you know, fall down and skin your knees, you'll never lose them. They'll love you. You know, me, Rich, and Jason had this conversation before. You know, I used to do a lot of McDonald's when I first started, and it was for a company that tracked you based on sales, and they'd give you bonuses based on sales at the end of the year, and they'd grade you based on sales month to month, and how long, much experience, how much they expect you to do. And I never, I never focused on selling parts. I'd go to McDonald's, mm-hmm. the old famous electric fryers, fry masters, they'd break the wires on the high limit, and they'd be like, sell them a high limit. It doesn't need a high limit. It needs a new terminal put on right. the wire. The wire breaks. Well, you can sell them a high limit. No, it doesn't need it. But guess what? My numbers were always top, and I'm not selling parts they don't need. I'm fixing, 
I'm fixing the demand and getting on to the next call. I'm making up for it in volume versus right. two calls a day selling $500 yeah. parts each one when I could do five calls a day and it's $300. You know, right. it, it, There's ways to make your money and be honest, man. These guys that go out there and just throw the stuff drive me up the wall. Well, and it, it, I think I said when we had that conversation too, um, we're not tracked on sales, but I happened to see the report of our sales for like the past year. I think it was July of last year to July of this year. And I'm in the top three. Mm-hmm. Um, number one is a guy that me and him do most of the big jobs together, but he does some of the big jobs without me. Number two is a guy that is a parts changer. He will, instead of diagnosing, he will, oh, it's got to be this. Oops, it wasn't that. Well, I already installed it. Oh, it wasn't that. And before you know it, I think he had you know, $3,000 worth of parts on a grill. And I, I believe the guy that was with him told me it was, it was just supposed to be like a micro switcher or, you know, I might be off, but it was basically he put $3,000 in parts for a simple repair. But mine's the same thing. I'm not going to sell you parts you don't need. But with that comes when I say this is what you need, then the customer's like, well, then that must be what I need. Because the last year and a half you've been coming here, you've never tried to sell me anything more than I need. So then when I'm like, look, yeah, now you need a $15,000 system change out. I guess we need a $15,000 system change out. That's, that's just the way it is. You've that's, built that's that been my experience the whole 17 you know years I've been doing this. Absolutely. We call those guys, the, the guys that you were talking about, Daisy, because it, it, as you know, in, in virtually any machine, there's four to five parts that are Daisy chained together that could be the, could, could be the problem right? A diagnostician will find out which one or two or whatever of those five parts it is. A daisy chainer will go, well, it could be that, 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 and that. They'll replace Mm -hmm. those and the client thinks, oh, that was kind of expensive, but the machine's working. I trust that guy. Mm -hmm. So it delivers Mm -hmm. uh, the right message in the wrong way uh, Mm -hmm. to the client as opposed to what you both do. I'm a diagnostician. I'm going to find out what's broken. I may not find it on the first call. I want to. I always right. want to make first stop fixes. Always. Right. But I'm not going to change five parts when you need two. I'm just right. not. Right. I got to I got to look at myself in the mirror in the morning and I got 15 ca- families that count on me to make good decisions. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, me personally and not to make you know this about me or anything, but I've gone to customers and they've been like, oh, how'd you fix it? And I'm like, I really don't know. Like I started doing this and that and it started working. I'll be back in two days uh, to follow up, you know, go ahead and text me. And then sometimes two days later, it's because you had an intermittent issue. It started working. But when you come back two days later, that part has finally failed. And you're like, oh, I see what happened. This part was going in and out. But I mean, I don't think I look bad to a customer saying, I don't know what I did or I don't know what the issue is right now. But I will come back until I figure out what the problem is and we will make it right, you know, at some point. Right, right. I have the weirdest outlook on people are like, why are you so good at diagnosing? I'm like, because I'm lazy. I don't want to change a part. I don't have to. It's easier for me to figure out what's wrong than it is for me to change parts. I'm like, I got a guy changing compressors. He's changed more compressors in two months. I've changed in four years. I'm like, I don't want to change that compressor. That's the last thing I want to do. I mean, I'd much rather clean the coil than lug that, that compressor to the top oil. of the roof. <laughs> components or something along those lines. Like, man, the co- the compressor is the last thing I want to do. I'm like, I'm really good at being lazy. Are, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm like, no, I'm good at diagnosing because I don't want to change parts. Right, right. Dude, I, I went on a call where somebody diagnosed an expansion valve on an open air case, and it was in a college. And I and this was what just yesterday or the day before. 
I did not want to change that expansion, Rob. I'm like, I don't want to lug my crap across this campus and this and that. I looked it all over. Oh, the, the pressure control wasn't set right, and the thing was freezing up. Adjusted the pressure control. Good to go. I was like, that's a win oh. for me. <laughs> Every day, buddy. Oh, excellent. So, Love that. I mean, it comes back to taking care of your customers, man. Not everything needs a part. Sometimes it's adjustment. It's sometimes it's a coil cleaning. Sometimes, you know, they they have those little cellophane bags that get stuck to these coils blocking it. I mean, but there's guys mm-hmm. out there that won't clean the coil. They don't check the coil. Oh, the compressor's clicking out on it's overloading, it's clicking out. Well, maybe because it's hot and it's working too hard. Right. I mean, yeah. compressors don't just click and go out. I mean, there's other causes generally. I mean, Always. I mean, compressors are obviously the, one of the hardiest pieces of equipment on on anything that we work on. They have to be, right? Because the absolute beating they take. Typically, it's it's a, a, a what you say, a lack of maintenance or another component that's affecting. Absolutely. Sweet. So I'm, I'm I really want to talk to Edgar now. I'm about to hit him up on Instagram. <laughs> bother him. Does he run your guys' Instagram account? Is that him or is uh, actually him? my my wife owns her own design company. Everything you see on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, all of that is all part of uh, my wife. She does all of that. Nice. I, won't, I won't bother her then. So I thought it was maybe. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just hit him up on email and I got his number now. So I'm, I'm going to text him and be like, bro, when can you come on? In all honesty, that will be a fascinating conversation to, to hear his story and, and where he is now. He uh, is from eight years ago to where he is today. He's an entirely different, not just technician. He's a different technician, no question, but he's an entirely different human. Um, he has remade himself uh, into a leader uh, where he was not before. He was a solo. Somebody would stand next to him and go, you know, and he'd go out of the way. I'm working. Mm-hmm. And that was that was how he trained. Watch me. I'll do it. Back off. And he's. Oh, he's I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's worked himself out of that. Where again, people will—he's—he's he's a magnetic person now, as opposed to somebody who, you know, he's going to repel. Nice. Awesome. Let me ask you this, because um, from what I understand, you guys—you got a, a pretty consistent hiring process, and and you know, there's a technician shortage, obviously, um, across every trade, but you guys are on a more or less regular basis able to you know, hire technicians and you've got a, a, from what I understand, a fairly low uh, turnover rate. I think you, you told me before, for the most part, anybody who's left, you wanted them to leave anyway. Um, so, so, so speak about that because like our, our company, at least my branch has an insane amount of turnover and, and I'm not trying to trash anybody. It's just the amount of people I've seen leave in the two years I've been there is, is insane. And I would imagine it's got to do with things like, you know, with culture, with, with training, with things like that. So what is it that, that allows y'all to hire when the, when a lot of other companies, you know, are desperate and they can't find anybody and then to retain the people you hire, what, what's the secret sauce to that? So a lot of it is, and I'll, I'll call it luck. Uh, it, I mentioned God earlier. I'm not necessarily a religious guy, but I, I, I think God puts people in front of you and, and you in front of people when when the timing is right, when when you are red ripe for that relationship to occur. That's the employees, friends, husbands, wives, clients, whatever it is. And when you're ready to receive them, they, they show up uh, and the right people show up. And so I look at it as as us being red ripe and being the right company. Uh, 
we do not have internal training. We rely on CFES's training uh, and OJT. Um, our, our, the A-level techs that we have, uh, seven of, um, they are so, so willing to meet. We've got uh, three guys that are B and up and coming. Uh, one of our PM techs just got his, his EPA and wants to carry a bag. So um, he's meeting our on-call guys at night and weekends um, and going with them so he can watch and see and ask. And so it is a, it is a culture of, of teamsmanship, of red, right growth, of building walls around who we are as a protection device against uh, outside negative forces. And that is a big portion of it. it. There's, I think there's a negative affinity towards calling yourself a family. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see it that way. Um, maybe in larger companies, it's passe or it's kind of, you know, whatever they call themselves a family, but they don't follow through. Um, we follow through, we act like a family. Family is first period, work is second. And there is virtually never a deviation from that. Um, today, unfortunately, we had one of our techs, grandfather in Mexico die. And uh, uh, the funeral was on Sunday and he said, I need to go. And we're like, go. And if you need off next week, go. And we've got work, we are pounded. We've got work. His grandfather just died. He could care less about work. I don't want that guy on the job. I don't, it, it, he needs to be where he needs to be. Okay. So now larger companies, I don't know if they can do that. Okay. We can do it. We do it. It's part of the secret sauce of, of knowing, caring, and not just with your mouth, but sometimes with our pocketbook um, uh, and, and always with our actions. Um, and so um, I have to refer to, to Rich Malachy for a couple of these things. We never used to pay our techs to get to their first work order. So at a 45 minute cap, we pay our techs to get to their first work order. Um, twice a year, we buy them uh, up to $250 boots. Um, they've got, you know, phones and clothes and, and uh, uh, that warehouseman, you want to talk about taking a load off of them, having that warehouseman made their life easier. Um, uh, 401ks, uh, we bonus out a couple times a year. At the end of summer, we bonus out. Um, summers in Phoenix, as you might imagine, are worth bonusing out. <laughs> right, right. And so um, I don't buy loyalty, um, but they know that they are very well cared for here. Yeah. And we know how lucky we are to have them. And we, I have those conversations all the time. I'm not afraid to tell a, a, a guy like you, Pat, a guy like you, Rich, or the, the various staff that I have, I love you. And I do, I love those people. They have, they have uh, spread blood and crawled around their hands and knees and on their back and on 140 degree roofs, done things that even though they signed up for it, absolutely still deserves a hug. And I love you. I can't believe you did that. Well done. And, um, I believe the importance of that is critical. And so again, you do that, that shit's out in the universe. Mm -hmm. I want it out in the universe. I want them to know. And when it's time for us to buy another truck and hire our next tech, that guy's going to fall out of a tree somewhere. Mm -hmm. he, an A-level tech is going to be unhappy with where he is, what his situation is, what his boss said to him that day. 
the ass chewing that, that he got from a client that he shouldn't have because somebody didn't do their job before him, whatever it was. Okay, that guy's going to fall out of the sky and right into our, our, our chair where we can sit down and have a, a realistic uh, conversation with him about what our expectations are, what his capabilities are, and how the hell do we marry those and, and, and go forward. And it's for whatever reason, it's worked. And so I wish I could define it better than that. Uh, but that's that's what it is. That's what it is. That's great. That's great. I mean, it's. It, you know, everyone says company culture, company culture. And I think, you know, you, you guys are doing a really good job. Um, I think a lot of times the bigger companies it kind of gets lost in the numbers thing. There's too many people. Right. It gets too big. And um, I think a lot of these bigger companies get jerked down by the guys that don't care, that want to complain, that don't want to work. And I think that really affects the bigger picture is the, the rotten apples. It takes one rotten apple to destroy a whole bushel. We all know that. And I think that kind of hurts some of these bigger companies. And I think you don't really, you, you try to weed that out before that happens and that kind of stuff. So I think that's why you guys are successful. And it, it's a really great approach. And uh, I have a lot of respect for what you guys do and what, what Edgar's done. I can't wait to talk to Edgar. Thank you. It's, it, it's like they humble us. I, 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 and, you know, I work for them. I work for them. Gary V says it. And I'm like, people listen to them, they go, yeah, that's bullshit. It's not. I work for them. If they're happy, I don't have to make 350 clients happy. If I make 15 people happy that I have access to every day, either face-to-face, -face, uh, by text, by phone, by whatever means, if they're happy, their needs are taken care of, my 350 clients are going to be just fine. They're going to be taken care of like kings and queens, and they are. See, so you said earlier that, you know, that, that, that um, like saying we're a family that become basically meaningless. And I kind of think, you know, especially after listening to what you said, talking about culture and company culture, that's probably on that same path as we're a family. You know, it, it's a buzzword that people throw around to try to sound like they know what they're talking about. It sounds to me like to sum up kind of what you said is you and Edgar are just you and Edgar. Like this is how y'all are. Um, and you just pour that out into the people that you're interacting with every day. And because that's how y'all are, everything just seems to kind of kind of fall together. It's so that, that's that's pretty cool. I like that. It's true. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's true. And that that only became uh, purposeful, uh, probably, again, right around the time we turned the corner coming out of COVID where it was purposeful. You know, otherwise, it, listen, nobody wants to feel used. Nobody wants to feel like it, it and it, again, these are all kind of cliche things, but nobody wants to feel like a number. You know, it, it, I probably only talk face-to-face uh, -face with 50 clients a month max, right? But I talk with my employees pretty consistently uh, and, and I call them employees. They're, they're team members, they're, they're brothers, they're sisters. They're, I'm the oldest guy, of course, I'm 60. Of course, of course, I'm the oldest guy. Right. Uh, and they're they're Some of them, I feel like they're my children. And sometimes they need a slap in, on the side of the head and or a hug or a congratulations or, you know, just I'm humbled by how much they care for what they're doing, for the results of what they're doing. And so that's it. It is part of the culture, Rich. You're, you're right. And like I said, it only became really, really purposeful between Edgar and I. Uh, about four years ago to, to be more less complacent uh, with our staff 
uh, more meaningful in what we say and do um, so that they understand uh, we love them, we want to keep them, uh, we want them taken care of, we want them as happy as they can be um, given what they're doing. And knock on knock on wood, thank God, whatever we got to do, we're right today, that's where we are. Nice. Sweet, sweet. So we like to stay under an hour. I don't want to cut you off. But anything you want to tell anybody about, if they're thinking about, I work for companies, if they're thinking about doing something on their own, I mean, we all know guys that can fix anything in the world. Just because you can fix something doesn't mean you can run a business. Right. Any advice you want to give somebody that's thinking about doing something on their own or thinking about making a change, any, any advice you can give a guy out there. I mean, there's plenty of work out there for everybody, dude. I'm sick of working 60 hours a week. I know I'm I got guys sick of working these hours. I mean, so be it. So any advice for those guys? So I, I feel a couple different ways and I'll, I'll, I'll draw a couple analogies. Me, again, I know how to run a business and I know how to run a business in this industry. Um, there are uh, a lot of really good techs and, and like the two of you and, and lucky enough, uh, several of the techs that, that work for Alpha and Omega, they're, they're incredible technicians, fantastic technicians. Um, the skill set that it takes to have both of those rope together, be a fantastic technician and know how to run a business, know how to draw up a business plan. If you're gonna start a business, you're gonna have a business plan, just start throwing your money out the window as you go down the road because that's what's going to happen. You have to have a business plan. And my first one, uh, I just went on the internet and I said, sample business plan. And by the time I was done typing it up, 30 days later, take me 30 days to do it correctly, it was 22 pages. And But it was replete. I mean, it was complete, right? And so if you want to build a business and all you have is a tool bag and a, and ambition, uh, but do not know how to run a business, do not know how to sell, do not know how to problem solve, do not know how to negotiate, um, are, are questionable on whether or not you want to be accountable for everything you do. Hang on. <laughs> Take it easy. Learn. All those things can be learned. No question about it. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying don't yet. And so um, that's how Edgar and I were, were, became as successful as we are. Because once we realized that's your skill set, this is my skill set. I won't bother you. You don't bother me. We'll sit down with the CPAs uh, once a month and, and count our shekels and make sure that we're doing things the right way sit down and talk with our people often enough and make sure we're doing things the right way. And so it is, it is a very, 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 very difficult thing to start a business. Okay. Um, without a business plan, I don't recommend it. It's um, with a business plan, 50% of businesses fail. Okay. Without one, you're going to fail because you haven't taken into consideration all the variables and inevitabilities that will occur without question will occur. Uh, I saw a little clip on, on Instagram the other day. It was uh, uh, the guy who runs UFC, uh, Dana White. Uh, he, was, uh, he was saying, and look it up. I'm not going to quote him because it's, it's pretty foul. But 
what he says is exactly true about starting a business is that you have no life if you if you want a ho-hum trunk slammer business you'd be just fine you know if all you want to do is cover your expenses monthly you'll be fine if you want to build a business um understand that the commitment it's going to take for time um, um the first two or three years until you can build a bank account until you can build an account base until you can build consistent cash flow until you learn how to negotiate and um, execute everything that needs to be done in this industry just besides turning a wrench and being really good at that uh wait just take a deep breath uh, most of the guys in this industry that want to do it are fairly young still uh 20s 30s early 40s whatever it is hey you got all the time in the world in front of you take a deep breath and learn right learn everything you can marshal your resources um uh find find people and there's going to be people like me everywhere um i this industry has given me so much i want to give back as much as i possibly can uh and so there's going to be people like me that that have no problem giving away everything that this industry has given to me and not charging a nickel for it. i don't want to charge anything for it i just want people to succeed right um, and so the ability to, to marshal your resources around you, a good CPA, a good lawyer, uh, and some intelligent consulting, industry-wise consulting, um, it, you, and a business plan, sorry, business plan's key. Um, and um, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. Sweet. That's great information. Yeah, it's not what most people want to hear. They want to hear I am I am the top top tech on our crew or the top three one of the top three techs on our crew. I've got a tool bag and a dream. I'm gonna go start a business. Yeah, <laughs> I told you yeah. I'd love to do it, but I'm I I don't have the business side of it. Like I said, man, I'd be scared. I I feel sorry for somebody and feeling sorry just to pay my bills. I mean, right, 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 and and no, there's no shame in that at all. The world needs great employees. Uh, I'm blessed with great employees. And, you know, not everybody has the has the want to do uh, what needs to be done. And like I said, it's there's it, it, I think business ownership gets a gets a well, that's you're a business owner. You're so lucky. That's sexy. Yeah, try. <laughs> walk, you know, walk about five miles in my shoes, and I'm not. It, it, no sympathy for me. We're we're very lucky. I'm, I I couldn't be more happy with the, where we are, but it's really hard. It's really hard. Well, the internet has a saying of making of people only showing their highlights. Very few, very few people show the struggles it took to get there. Right. I mean, people only want to show them succeeding. They don't want to seem like a failure in front of anybody. And the internet really shines a light on people that have worked hard their entire life it really shines a poor light on what it really took to get to where you're at to where edgar at i mean it, it it took a lot of work for you know rich to get where he's at where i'm at we've all worked hard but you know i'm open i show my my failures my successes mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that do but there's 20 times more people that don't show any failures and it's only successes and you can't compare yourself to the people that only show their wins no not no, at all that, not that's why i make it a point to show my screw-ups i was just I forget who I was messaging with the other day online. And I'm like, I show my screw ups 
uh, just so y'all aren't looking at the mm-hmm. guy that's only showing his successes and trying to be like him because, you know, I've got a lot of respect, obviously, from people in the industry. And then when I can come and be like, look, y'all, this is this stupid screw up that I made and I was tired. I was in a rush. I was lazy and just come out with it. That, you know, I, I want you to know, hey, we're, we're all going to uh, screw up. But like yeah. you said, the, the Internet doesn't do that. Everybody wants to look like they got it together. I'm like, screw that crap. <laughs> y'all can yeah. see me. Like I tell people, the guy you see on social media, if you were on my couch and we were talking, it's the same guy. There's <laughs> no right. difference in me. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Corey, we're coming up on the end. I don't want to go much longer, but I want you to tell everybody where they can find you, find your company, find Edgar. Let's everybody harass Edgar because he didn't show up tonight. <laughs> but uh, find everybody. And, you know, if anyone has any questions or comments, how they can reach out to you. Um, I know you're open to talking to anybody. Um, you're a good dude. So just give everybody where they can find you, find Alpha Omega. And, you know, if they have questions or comments or they want to, you know, pick your brain, where can they find you at? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, I'm on uh, uh, LinkedIn as, as Corey H. You can always uh, look up Alpha Omega Repair either on Instagram or uh, or LinkedIn. Uh, uh, that'll come up. That'll have virtually all my information. Um, if you want to call, I'd be more than happy to take phone calls. I would prefer that you text me first and say, hey, I'm going to call you. I got a couple questions for you. I heard you on um, uh, on the live stream and have a couple questions for you. My phone number is 602-679-0102. My email address is Corey, C-O-R-Y at alpha omega repair.com. And Edgar's is the same, just E-D-G-A-R, Edgar, at alphaomegarepair.com. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you giving your phone number and telling everybody where to find you at. Um, you know, I haven't talked to you as much as Rich has. Rich really looks up to you, and, uh, you know, you guys are friends. And uh, what you've done, you know, in the last few years with, you know, everything you've built, uh, I have a lot of respect for you, man, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you more in the future. So I'd be honored. I'd be honored. This was humbling for me. Um, uh, Rich, I love you like a brother. And I'm, I'm yeah, so excited man. for what, uh, for what your future holds and, and both you, uh, both you guys and Jay Lat, what you're doing is incredibly admirable. What you're doing takes a lot of effort. And at the end of the day, you're exhausted. You're tired. I, yeah. I know what my boys look like at the end of the day. And so what you're doing, the effort that you're putting out to give back to this industry and to educate and entertain it is entertaining. It's educational. Um, again, it's it's critical for for to draw people to the industry. Um, and so, thank you very much for everything that you are doing. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks, you know where to find Rich, Jason, myself, and now you know where to find Corey and his crew at. So, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight, and uh, have a good night, everybody. See you guys. Appreciate y'all. If you guys would please consider subscribing rating and reviewing the podcast it really helps us grow and helps us know which direction to move in also if you have any suggestions for guests please email me at commercial kitchen chronicles at gmail.com or if you want to be a guest email me love to have you guys on thanks a lot see you next week